Welcome back to Experts Only. I'm your host, John Powers. I'm the co-founder of Clean Capital and served as President Obama's Chief Sustainability Officer. On this podcast, we explore solutions to climate change by talking to industry leaders about the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance. You can get more episodes at cleancapital.com. Welcome back to Experts Only. I'm your host, John Powers. Today, we dive into the exciting things that are happening in Washington, D.C., with the influx of capital on things like the federal infrastructure bill that's moved forward. And we brought one of the leading experts in understanding the bridge between what your company's doing and how to really access and understand the money that's moving in the federal space. And it's Tate McDonald. She's a partner in Holland and Knight. I've known Tate for a long time. She's been named as one of the leading top five electric vehicle lawyers in the country. She also works really closely with the Department of Energy and the Loan Program Office to figure out how companies like yours can understand and access this once-in-a-generational investment that's moving in the federal space. As always, you can get more episodes at cleancapital.com. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Tate, thanks so much for finally joining me at Experts Only. Thanks, John. I'm so excited to be here today. Yeah, me too. This has been an interview I've wanted to do for a long time. You know, I've been, been trying to work it out, but actually the timing couldn't be better with all the stuff that's happening in Washington today. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it is the time to talk about all of these things that we're going to cover today. So you grew up in Pennsylvania. You went to school for political science, uh, but then went to law school. You're sort of now living at the apex of those two things and the, the work you do. But really, what first of all, what got you interested in political science? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I was just like everybody. I wanted to do some, I wanted to have impact and I, on the greater good and the world as a whole. So I knew, I knew going into school that I wanted a, a very robust career. And I wanted to make sure that I worked in a few corporate environments. I wanted to make sure I really felt as though I was contributing something to the greater good. Right. And in that process, was it was energy, climate, clean energy stuff on the horizon? Or was it sort of politics and law first? And then you sort of got this... I am not the most political person in one extreme or the other, but really what, um, what really got me into it was the energy side. And I will say I'm a little different, um, in that I went to law school. I knew I was taking a chance in going to law school because I did not want to be a practicing lawyer. So my second year, and I knew, and I knew I wanted to do something when I really started my first and second year of law school thinking about what I wanted to do, I started I started being attracted to just environmental law as a whole. But because I didn't want to be a traditional lawyer, right. I knew I had to find something in that nexus. And my story about it is actually really cool because I spent the whole second year think, of law school, I'd taken on this debt knowing I didn't want to be a practicing lawyer ironically telling all of my classmates I would never be dumb enough to be at a big law firm. And I'm the <laughs> only one that's a partner at a big law firm um, today, which is another fun fact. But the bottom line is just that when I took my second year and really evaluated, okay, how can I make the world a better place? How can I make a better, a, a solid life for my family? And how can I do something I'm passionate about? About eight months after I started thinking about like what falls in the center of those concentric circles, I discovered traditional lobbying on the Hill for Jatropa, 
which was right. a biofuel feedstock that has never made it. So that's what really started me on the path to what I finding that um, led me to the path of where I am now. Interesting. Then when you and I first met, you were at Wilson Sonsini, right? One of the really interesting sort of Silicon Valley tech firms. And at the time, now this is around you know 2008, 2009, you were helping build a bridge into what was starting to percolate in the federal administration space. And now you've really built a diverse career in that space. And um, we'll talk more about all the things that are happening. But you know, if you can sort of reflect on the progress in the last 10 years there, you know, uh, I'm going to steal, steal your husband's quote here and say that, you know, you've been training for the Olympics for 10 years and it's finally here. You know, what is that sort of, what experiences did you sort of pick up over the last 10 years that led you to be prepared to sort of launch into the, the Olympic game here? Yeah. Yeah. For as a, for a sport that never existed. Yeah, that's right. For a sport that never existed. <laughs> now it's here. Now it exists. And it's, and it's quite popular, but um, the, so what was interesting when I went to Wilson Cincini, it was right when they had closed Solyndra and Tesla. So right. the best in the world, I, I've started to now say I've become the encyclopedia of LPO because my career really started with the best and the worst. And right. so I was, I naturally saw everything in between. And I stayed at Wilson for seven years, ended up running the practice and then came over to Holland and night and I'll, the, for a very strategic reason, which is key to what we built, what um, yeah. my team is today. But the bottom line is just what was really interesting is Wilson didn't want us to register to lobby. So I and had all this um, had all this federal had all this LPO work. So I needed to find really. I took the that five years, found everything in the executive branch yeah. that would not require lobbying registrations that had to do with energy and clean tech. And what was fortunate at that time is every, as you know, everything was ramping up. So I had time to ramp up in all of the different, this DOD sector where we met, the ERE programs. Um, The the Wilson practice was originally run by a deputy assistant secretary of ERE. So that's how we learned everything about ERE, the loan program, because of the natural influx there. And then, at, then you can add things like GSA and really all of the other DOD money. So it was it was a very natural um, learning curve. If you like, I learned as things developed throughout the Obama administration. Yeah, and for folks that don't understand sort of the Washington side of it, like lobbying, you know, you're often officially trying to affect what's going on in Congress. But what Tate has done so well, she really helps shepherd cutting edge technologies to figure out how to find the dollars that are moving through the government. And for the things like the loan guarantee program or um, some of the other sort of four leaning offices, um, people may not know how to get grants, but they often work with you to figure out, for instance, how to apply and how to shepherd through that, that process. So you moved to, to Holland and Knight and have set up really the leading practice in this space. You know, what, um, what at Holland and Knight sort of gives that platform a unique position here to, to continue to scale as, you know, this steroid injection of capital is coming into the federal space? Yeah, so what had happened, I love the time at Wilson. I love the technology. Um, I got to see so many things that are now coming to fruition. I worked on at the beginning, like even solid state batteries, you name it. We I worked on it 10 years ago, um, energy management software, 
the initial distributed solar grant through the first DOE grants in that space. Right. So I love the technology, but what was occurring is the West Coast-based platform. My practice was growing beyond the needs of the West, beyond what the West Coast-based platform had. So Honda Night now, we have over 1,700 lawyers with an energy merger we did this summer. But what's unique about Holland and Knight is, so we have a very robust now because of our lateral strategy energy transaction practice. But what's different is we have an 80-person policy shop where I sit in that's, that's completely seamlessly integrated with the energy transaction work as well as in more key, the, um, honestly, the government contract work and right. the GSA work and the DOD government contracts work. So now the and that also supports all the doe grants so now we have this essentially soup to nuts approach that can fit that can help companies through all stages of working with the federal government in any capacity can you paint a picture of like what your you know what your standard client i mean give, give some examples if you want i don't know if you can even talk about them by name but just to paint a picture of a couple of different clients that you have so people can understand like how would they approach you to get access to some of yeah. these uh, programs question um so i won't use names just so i don't confuse who i have permission to in public um but the bottom line is a lot of what my clients come to me our specialty which we'll get into is really that last valley i don't want to call it a valley of death because it's not always a valley of death but that last stage to either first commercial facility or broad deployment. So really what's also, in addition to the government funding, what's really set our practice off is what I like to call the SPAC attacks in the market. Oh, yeah. yeah. So really, I mean, what we are great at is when a company is sitting at that last stage where they either need to build that, they, they need to build that first facility or the larger facility or they need their technology deployed across the across the country, right? So, for example, actually one that is definitely public because it's a lobbying it is a lobbying registration. Now, now I do lobby sometimes where we need the two branches to work together. Sure, of course, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and one is one example is Volta, where oh, yeah. we were deploying charging stations across the world. Across the country. Yeah, of so, course. I- I want to come back to your specifically like your electric vehicle and charging spacing work because it's you know such a dynamic piece right now, especially the infrastructure money that's coming coming forward. But before doing that, you 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 know the Biden administration has come in with really aggressive goals. The infrastructure bill uh, has passed. Unfortunately, Build Back Better has not passed yet, but there is you know unprecedented money moving into the stuff that we care about around infrastructure and the private sector side. You know, a lot of capital is lining in uh, and lining up to to um, add out of that, right? To be sort of a force multiplier in this space. But you really have become uh, probably the leading expert in the loan guarantee program, the, the loan program office. That you know, we recently had Jigger on the on the on the program talking about what's moving in this space. You know, for folks that aren't aren't fully aware, that office ramped up, really disappeared for a few years you know, as there was a political flashback on some of the things that unfortunately were, um, uh, I think in many cases, sort of partisan attack. Reality is though, it's been a very successful office. And now there's a a new dynamic leader with a lot of capital. Like what should people be thinking about that office and where opportunities are for companies? Yeah. The bottom line in the federal government right now is 
uh, everybody needs to be, everybody that is, especially at that stage, if you have not already, where you are, where you have just done a public offering or you are looking to deploy more broadly, now is the time where you have to do an evaluation of the federal space. So for instance, what our practice does, that makes it a lot easier for companies to really grow stage companies to get excited about working with the federal government. It's a little different than how others have approached it in town is we'll do, we know a lot of this off the top of our head. We'll work with you either through an LPO evaluation to determine if LPO is really something that you should be doing. I will say, I start a lot of those conversations saying, this is going to be very, very challenging. Are you sure you want to? We're going to make sure you want to, you really want to do it. And it's the best thing for your for your growth because it's not the best thing for everyone but the bottom line is no matter if you are at that stage because the amount of funding going through the loan program and the momentum with the loan program the other thing we did on the lobbying front and the reason why you're seeing the loan program in a lot of people think the biden administration and jigger alone is the re-spark of the program but we actually have been running a, co- a informal coalition with all of our clients to educate Capitol Hill on the value of the loan program. So a lot of changes and improvements right. have gone through legislation even before the Bipartisan Act and the 2020 Energy Act. So right. the bottom line is you have to, because those changes in combination with where Washington is, it's re- you really have to evaluate loan program and then look at the other grant programs too. And then, yes, let's talk about some of the other programs because the Office of Commercialization, is it Commercialization and Development, OCD? Right. The Clean Energy Demonstration. Oh, Clean Energy Demonstration, sorry. Clean Energy Demonstration okay. also has received a significant influx of capital, right, to start putting it to work. You know, what should people look at that differently from, for instance, LPO and some of the other options that are on the table? Yeah, great question. So, and even my team and I were laughing about this yesterday because, I, so there is a clear defined pot of money that's around $30 billion for the Office of Clean Energy Demonstration. Right. That is focused on hydrogen, um, CCUS, uh, and grid resilience, and nuclear. So that is the clearly legislative OCD, um, right. OCD pots of funding. Now, in addition to that, there is big pots of funding. It's $6 billion for batteries and material supply chain, as well as other pots of funding funding for like direct air capture hubs. So yeah. Aggregated, that's about $40 billion across cash that will be administered in grants with different cost shares across the next, over the next five years. Right. So, but... What's interesting, what you have to keep in mind about that money is it does not cover every segment of the industry because it is just from the bipartisan bill. So that's the evaluation you really have to look at. And even a lot of, like, for instance, a lot of people are coming to us for the hydrogen hubs. And I'm like, that's going to be the most competitive, that's going to be the most competitive new program out there. If you're just one small component, you shouldn't be looking at the big right. hydrogen hubs. Right. You should be looking elsewhere. So that's what we're doing with companies as they come through. But even like I said yesterday, um, my team and I were looking through the IIJA again and found like 
probably a few more billions of dollars that we weren't even tracking. Wow. Yeah. yeah for the industry as a whole. So of the, the firm, I want to get to electric vehicles and infrastructure and charging stations in a, in a minute, but, you know, of the uh, technologies that are su- coming forward to you, right. Some of the companies that are developing here, you know, what's, what do you sort of see that's most exciting? Like if we often look out over the next 10 years in this show and talk about, you know, this decade in particular is going to be, what's going to, you know, if we're going to get the resolving climate change, it's going to be the, the work that's done today and the commercialization that's going to happen over the next 10 years. Like what are some of the really interesting uh, solutions that you're seeing? If you could talk about some of those, opportunities. Yeah. Um, Not giving away anybody's IP. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> at least I know it was in the EU who I got approval in the EU uh, article. So at least yeah. I got more specifics there. But the bottom line is, um, I'm like, where do I even start? Because it's it's also like Christmas every day. So not only yeah. are we in the Olympics, but it's Christmas every day. Because what we're seeing, I think it's more, It's you can see in the pre, in the headlines, all of the new applications, even like what we're seeing in electric aviation, electric boating, electric, like um, all of the direct air capture, the hydrogen applications, whether it's production, deployment, or transportation. And then when you go into um, the supply chain and the technologies around recycling for battery supply chain, there's just so much amazing technology out there that now has capital sufficient to deploy and market support right so there's and then you have some incumbent technology that's just really it's becoming really sexy because the way you can actually deploy and reduce ghg emissions so really i think what it's what the next year or two we're focusing on is and i'm um incur like my team and i are building out is like what do we how do we and i'm going to get a little philosophical here how can we be responsible to make sure we didn't have the same mistakes from the stimulus yep. and make sure the funding is going to these technologies that can actually deliver on time, expansively, commercialize, and then and make sure we can realize the opportunity that Congress intended out of this out of this legislation. So that's what's really exciting to me is we're we're at the precipice of this this amazing opportunity, but we have to do it right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and outside of just the process itself, I mean, there's got to be communication, uh, the telling the story of these successes so that, you know, we don't run into the same issues we had in the, 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 the Obama administration when, you know, people work to kill these programs when a bad story got out versus, you know, helping to tell the story today of uh, what's working and to continue to do, I think, what the coalition's doing, right, which is educating folks in the Hill about the progress. Yeah, and it's a great example because, as a result of that coalition teaming with the NGOs, we all put together the same ask um, with everything else in clean tech that Manchin's struggling with right now. Yeah, um, we got more money than we asked for, even. So, and it's a great example of like Washington works when yeah. you communicate appropriate stories in a bipartisan way. Um, you, I mean, the loan program is just such a great example of success in the industry when yeah. things are communicated um, to Washington. Awesome. So l- let's talk about- It could have been worse. We could have started yeah. in the worst place. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. That's <laughs> true. So looking at, you know, I think we had a doubt, you know, the thing that's probably touted the most right now and some of the um, the stories being sort of talked about by the administration and others 
is electric vehicle space and the infrastructure space. You know, we couldn't have done this five years ago, uh, even if the money come in because the, the marketplace wasn't ready. But the marketplace is ready now. You've got major car manufacturers moving diligently in the space. You've got the EV charging stations, you know, finally in a position where they can start to grow. Like, what do you sort of see the money being put in? First of all, what kind of money is going in for EV and, and infrastructure? And two, like, what do you see that mean in terms of deployment for, for everyday Americans, right? Like, what does that mean five or six years from now in terms of, you know, being able to take an electric vehicle and, and find a place to charge it? Such a great question. I didn't um, expect it, you to come at it from this way, but it's it's a phenomenal question. And before you before I answer that, I want to point yeah. out that Tate's been named as one of the top ten EV lawyers in the country. Uh, so we definitely have to focus on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's a great, and you know this because you were in the administration at the time. But the bottom line is like there was so much excitement and enthusiasm for batteries, battery supply chain, EVs in 2009 to 2011. But we weren't at the place where, for so many different reasons, we are at a really challenging place with the federal government, if you may. Right. So that's why we had some success stories, but then not other. We didn't get as far as we would have hoped um, in some cases, I think. And the technology wasn't ready. It was just... Exactly. Exactly. Batteries, for example, weren't ready until 2014. So we couldn't, right? Yep. Exactly. Um, and so the bottom line is just that what happened and what I'm, I'm honestly, I tell people like on my deathbed, this will be one of the things I'm most proud of <laughs> contributions um, already is so to, in 2018, we started to get momentum um, within the Trump administration even. So bipartisan Congress, Trump administration for battery, battery supply chain for going into like all battery applications, right? So maybe not EV focus, but we took, I had worked on um, some really, Molly Corp in 2009, back in 2009. So I had a lot of experience in supply chain. And um, one of my mentors taught me very early batteries are the holy grail, right? So in 2018, when we saw the opportunity, we took the integrated Holland and Knight platform to start to do exactly what we did with LPO to build a battery coalition, essentially, where, because we started with a company or two, I actually started with Core Power, supported it first. I have to give them a shout out, but we couldn't get anywhere with one company. We were getting like, right. the, we could hardly get anywhere on a billion dollar ask in 2019, 20, right? And so what we did, so then over between 19 and 21, we aggregated very complementary battery companies, started bringing them all together, teamed with another coalition. And um, in the IIJA, there's $6 billion for battery. Explain what the IIJA is for hooks. That's the infrastructure investment. Yep. Impact, so the bipartisan act that passed. So what not only did we do, we had two main goals to fix, tweak some things with loan program, to open it up for batteries and vehicles again, because the way it was being defined was that's why you don't see a lot of those projects go through strictly defined. So we worked to open up the definitions to support the sector and then um, lobby for the batteries and material funding. So that the combination of those two is what's going to help the federal government really support the sector moving forward. And then plus, I can't forget and the charging funding that is gonna go through DOT too. There's 7.5 billion that already has um, a request for information. Wow. Charging funding. 
so what, let, let me go back to like, what does that mean for, you know, every, someone here in Buffalo, New York, five or six years from now, being able to get access to an affordable electric car at a place to charge? Yeah. So the bottom line, so the charging funding will actually deploy chargers, will help to deploy chargers across the U.S. So there's no longer going to be, especially in an area like Buffalo or in areas where it's colder, there's going to be more access to public charging and charging along corridors, right? Which is obviously a key um, a, a, a key hurdle to, and perceived hurdle to so many people owning. Right. So that is right. key number two. What, what's key to opening up the market is that this funding is going to enable the companies to produce, to actually produce up more applications in the U.S. in a more cost-competitive manner. We haven't been able to compete with other countries in some cases, especially in EVs, because of how other governments support their companies versus right. how the U.S. government supports you. And that Absolutely. is what's great, what's really good to know is a significant amount of the EV sector was a lot of there's a lot of frustration well if we don't get bbb we're going to lose everything a significant amount of the the ev um market is actually very well supported by iijs more needs yeah if you separated the two like i think standalone storage some of these others that that's where bbb would have been really helpful uh but for evs and ev infrastructure the 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 money's there to know and i don't want anybody to come at me because there still needs to be more right but the bottom line is like there's a lot of work like we're already doing that work on the deployment dollars, like all that work's in progress now. So yeah. and we're, we can't do the work until it passes Congress. So it's just a really good sign for the market. Yeah, it, we could always do more, but this is a once in a generational investment that's already, already being made, right? That we got to yeah. take full advantage of and not just It's more wait. than we've seen in our careers and yeah. probably will see again. And I want to point out one key difference because a lot of people are apprehensive, like, well, I'm not ready now. And you know, in two thousand nine, it I I wasn't ready, and then there was no funding there. So why would I even waste my time? One of the key differences now is that um, a lot of the staffers realized how they were there and had to have experience from two thousand nine. So this is all five year funding. Right. So so I'm gonna just wrap up with sort of a reflecting question for you. If you went back to growing up in Pennsylvania. Uh, you're just graduating from Gettysburg and you could sit down and have a beer with yourself and give yourself a piece of career advice. What would you say? Anything is possible. Don't give up. I love it. I love it. Tate, thank you so much for joining us. You know, for folks that are not familiar with Holland or Knight, definitely understand the impact that firm is making in Washington as a, as a way to, to both develop your federal strategy and get access to some of the dollars that are moving uh, in this once in a generational investment. So thank you so much, Tate, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Took too long to happen. My my (laughs) fault, but uh, we had a pandemic in the middle. So I want to thank your team at Holiday Night and thank, you know, our producers, Colin Young and Carly Batten, as always, for helping to put this together. You can get more episodes at cleancapital.com and we look forward to continuing the conversation. Yeah, and I have to stress that because I can't, I couldn't do any of this without the team we we developed in the Holland Night and the Holland Night support. So, thank you. Just need to give kudos to the shout out to the team as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Thanks, John.